would like to preach to all of you before you take off. <laughs> Hi, Miss Janet. It's good to see you. Take your Bible, if you will, turn to Psalm 147. Psalm 147. Wednesday night after I left here, I uh, went to Walmart to uh, help to buy groceries for somebody. And uh, got done with that, got home about 10 o'clock, and crawled in bed, and Mary knew my chest had been hurting all day. Not bad, you know, scale of 1 to 10 is about a 2 or 3. Got up to a 4. And uh, I figured out why they do that, because you can count all your pain levels on just two hands. And uh, you have to take off your shoes to see how much pain you're in. Some of us never be able to count that high. So anyhow, I uh, thought, well, I'll, I'll run out to the emergency room, and if it's crowded, I'll just come on home. Because Tuesday night, it was totally covered up with people standing room only in the lobby. And uh, so I got to the emergency room. I told them what was wrong, and they uh, told me to have a seat. And uh, so I sat down, waited a few minutes. There was only one other couple in the ER waiting room. Wow. Otherwise, I wouldn't have stayed. But uh, anyhow, (coughs) they uh, took me into ER, and uh, I got to stay there for 14 hours because there are no beds available in the hospital. Every bed is full at Jefferson Regional. Mercy, Jefferson, whatever it's called now. Jefferson Memorial. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> Anyhow, um, they did bring me a hospital bed instead of that gurney at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning. I was very grateful for that. But uh, laid there until noon. And then finally they had an empty bed and uh, got up to my room. And it's too late in the day to see a doctor. <laughs> they all do their rounds in the morning. And so I lay there until Friday morning. Actually, I did see a doctor uh, Thursday evening. But uh, he said, uh, we have a test scheduled for tomorrow and we'll come in. So Friday morning they started Came in, took x-rays of my heart and my chest, and then uh, did a uh, stress test, uh, the pharmacological stress test, where they just shoot the stuff in your IV, and then you feel like you're dying for two minutes, and then it's over. And uh, after they did that, then they sent me back to my room uh, for a while, and then took me down for more uh, CT scans, x-rays. They get all that done, and... Uh, Got back up to my room, and <clears throat> the pain was gone. I had several muscle relaxants and pain medication and uh, nitro paste patch and all that. I'm just giving you all the details. Uh, and uh, the pain was gone, and the and, uh, nurse came in and said, uh, well, how are you feeling? And I said, feeling much better. She said, okay. Uh, I said, uh, I assume I'm going home. And she said, well, the doctor hadn't said that. And I said, well, if he calls, tell him I am. <laughs> if he'd like to see me, he needs to get here pretty quick. <laughs> she said, oh, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> and I thought, bet I can. 
<laughs> but I didn't. I stayed. And uh, they let me out to go home, said that there was an abnormality in the stress test. And uh, the cardiologist is Dr. Spidell. He was Ron's cardiologist. And uh, so when he introduced himself to me, he said, Now, have we met before? And I said, uh, Yes, sir. I'm Ron Casey's brother. And he said, Oh, that explains some things. <laughs> Which I took offense at. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, he, finally, he finally came back in the room at 4 o'clock Friday afternoon, told me I could go home. He said, there is this abnormality. We're going to do a, cat, a catheterization, but we're not going to do it over the weekend, so you can go on home. We'll call you Monday, schedule it, let you know. I said, okay, so I left. I got home, and the doctor who was subbing for my primary care physician called me. And uh, he was a little more distressed than Dr. Spidell because I wasn't there when he went in the room to see me. But uh, so he filled me in a little more. And uh, turns out there was uh, good news and bad news. The good news is the abnormality in my heart, they're not certain that it's heart-related. could be something else. And the bad news was he said, well, you're not ever going to look like anything. And, uh, that hurt, <laughs> but not totally unexpected. Okay, Psalm one forty-seven talks about heart. It's one of the Hallelujah Psalms. You know what Hallelujah Psalms are? They they all start and finish with the word Hallelujah, and always in the King James, it's translated. What's the translation of the word hallelujah? Praise ye the Lord. And so that's how you see it written. The psalmist begins, praise ye the Lord. I like the Hebrew, so let's just say that together. Hallelujah. Man, for it is good to sing praises unto a God. It is pleasant and praise is comely. Now, you know what comely means, right? It's the opposite of homely. Okay? You ever see a homely child? <clears throat> Nobody's going to admit it. <laughs> okay. Sure. Homely means, uh, well, it's what they said about Jesus in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 53. He hath no form nor comeliness that when we see him, we should desire him. Okay. That's a really sweet word way of saying, uh, he's kind of ugly. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, he, uh, he says, uh, praise is comely. Praise makes you look better. Okay? Many of you look fine already. But there are a few, if you'll see me after the service, I'll tell you if you're one of them or not. There are a few of you that need to begin praising on it. I mean, pretty much 24-7, at least for a couple of weeks. Let's see what the change is affected there. But he says, praise ye the Lord, hallelujah, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant, and praise is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcast of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart, and bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. That just kind of overwhelms me. Because we already know there are more than 100 billion stars just in the Milky Way galaxy. And there are 
so far we've discovered more than 100 billion galaxies. Most of them larger than our galaxy. So 100 billion times 100 billion plus all the ones we've not seen yet because they're too far out in the universe. We don't have telescopes that will reach that. God knows all of their names. Wow. And he knows your name. And he knows my name. And that's pretty impressive because while I've been introduced to all of you, I'm not sure if I can remember all your names. But God never forgets a name. Verse 5, great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God. Yeah, harp is just one of the stringed instruments. There's a bunch of them. I pretty much like them all. I like the piano, which is a stringed instrument. I like violins. I like guitars. I like harps. I especially like cellos. Because there's always room for cello. <clears throat> Come on, y'all aren't paying attention. <clears throat> there's always room for cello. And, uh, but, uh, but the scripture tells us to praise God with stringed instruments. One of the great violinists walked out onto the platform to play a concert. And uh, as he took his bow and put it on the strings... Drew the bow the first time, one of the strings snapped. And everyone in the audience went, (gasps) So he reached up and deliberately broke all of the other strings but one. And then he played his concert, his first piece, with one string. That's skill. Okay? I'm kind of a one string kind of guy. Whatever God does, he has to do pretty much. Because of his skill, not mine. But here in verse 3, it says, He healeth the brokenhearted. As long as I was in the hospital and they were testing my heart, I began to think, well, wonder how many different kinds of heart problems there are. Turns out there's a bunch. If you have a faulty valve in your heart, some, sometimes the, the blood pumps out and then flows right back in when your heart relaxes. And so you're not getting a, a, a renewed blood supply, oxygenated blood supply every time. That makes you really weak. Sometimes you have a blockage in the arteries of your heart, and so your heart muscle is not getting enough oxygen. Sometimes you have a heart attack and the artery is blocked and your heart, part of your heart muscle dies. Sometimes you just overwork your heart. When my dad passed away, I had, they did an autopsy. They said his heart was the size of a basketball. Okay? Now, compare the size of a basketball to the normal size of a heart, two fists together. Okay? His heart was greatly enlarged. Part of that was because he didn't know when to quit, didn't know when to stop, and didn't know how to say no. <laughs> Just, you know, he was always busy, always serving the Lord. And at 56, he drew his last breath, and his heart finally stopped. His claim to fame was he had the third nuclear-powered pacemaker in the United States. So had he lived another 100 years, his pacemaker would have kept beating, would have kept his heart going. But no heart left to beat. There's all different kinds of heart trouble. 
I was looking at the Word of God and discovered that there are wounded hearts. Wounded hearts. Now, there are broken hearts, and I understand about broken hearts. Man, you get that, that first note. It says, I like you. Do you like me? Check yes or no. You know? And, and if you check yes, wow, you have a steady girlfriend for about 24 hours. And the next day, she likes somebody else. And you've been flung under the bus, left in the dirt with a broken heart. And I'd rather make jokes about it than to relive the experience. Because there are broken hearts. There are people whose hearts are broken. Grief is a form of a broken heart. My dad passed away. My mom moved to his side of the bed. She started sleeping on his pillow. She started using his toothbrush. And she wouldn't clean out his closet. And I asked her one time, Mom, what's going on? And she said, I I miss him so bad, I can't tell you. She said, it hurts all the time in my heart. She said, I started using his toothbrush because it makes me feel close to him. I sleep on his pillow on his side of the bed because it makes me feel close to him. Praise the Lord. She had the training so that she changed the sheets every week. (laughs) It could have been bad. (laughs) But she lived three years. And about two weeks before she passed away, she finally began to get over the pain of my dad being gone. She began to visit friends again. She began to... uh, Renew old acquaintances. And then she had subarachnoid hemorrhage, base of her brain, and she died. But uh, it took three years for her to begin to get over the grief of having a broken heart. Broken hearted. Now this psalm says he heals the broken in heart. Some hearts are broken and wounded because of the response that people get from other believers. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this tonight because I, I, I mean this, this morning, because I will probably miss out on the thing that damaged your heart, that hurt you. But I am not surprised anymore to learn that the majority the majority of the followers of Jesus, the majority of believers, the majority of quote-unquote Christians have been damaged by a fellow Christian. Someone in church who said something snide or unkind or started rumors about them or or this, that, or the other and, and, and just hurt their feelings. And often it's a new believer, a young Christian, And that's not at all what they expected from followers of Jesus. Because Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. This precious Sunday school teacher taught junior girls uh, down in Georgia. Had somebody come to her, another lady in the church, 
and say, said to her essentially, man, I can't believe what you did. She said, what are you talking about? Deacon, deacon so-and-so has made these accusations against you. And I just, I, I, I just never would have thought it of you. Well, listen, if you wouldn't have thought it before, don't believe it now. Okay? At any rate, the lady had to give up her Sunday school class. All she wanted was to serve God. All she wanted was to be used of God. But she couldn't do it in that church. So she found another church, she and her husband, and began visiting women in jail. And over the course of months, she discovered that women who were in jail this week, getting out this week, would be back in jail next month or a couple of months later. The the return rate was just incredible. It was like a revolving door on the front of the jail. They come in, and they stay a while, and they go out, and they stay a while, and they come right back in. And she thought, there's got to be some way to help these ladies. So she and her husband took their house, divided up into rooms, and she invited two ladies who were getting out of jail to come live with her. And they came. They developed a nine-month program, intense Bible study, incredible praise to God, just focusing on God. For 24-7, for nine months. And I have no idea how many hundreds of women have gone through that program. But I know that a majority, vast majority of them have come out with their broken hearts healed. And God has continued to bless their lives. Because here's a woman with a broken heart, wounded spirit, who just wouldn't quit. She did not blame God. She recognized it was of the devil. And she allowed God to move her on from there. I know another lady in a church whose boys got in trouble in Sunday school numerous times. I mean, they didn't want to be there and they didn't want to have fun while they were there. And so they just, they were always causing difficulty and causing trouble. And one day the teacher just said, if you all don't want to behave, just leave. And they just sat there and he said, no, I'm serious. Get out. Kicked him out of his class. Whether that was right or not, I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know what I would have done. But at any rate, they left. And that was the last Sunday their parents were ever in church. The parents got hurt. Boys got what they wanted, but the parents got hurt. I saw them recently. It's been 40 years. No, not quite that long. 35 years. They haven't darkened the door of a church. And I'm thinking, wow. They've not allowed God to mend their broken hearts. But we can say hallelujah because he healeth the broken in heart and he bindeth up their wounds. You can always turn to Scripture 
somebody came to me one time and said, Brother Casey, uh, I, I need to tell you this. And I said, okay, tell me. Just because you need to tell it doesn't mean I need to hear it, but go ahead. I didn't say that, but I sometimes think that. And so they went ahead and told me. And they got all finished. And they said, I said, okay, uh, so what do we do about it? And they, and they didn't say that loud, but I knew what they are thinking. You're the pastor. You're supposed to take care of it. See? Being the pastor, I fled to the Scriptures. And I said, the Bible says if you have been offended, you are to... Go to your brother or sister and make it right. Tell them what they did. Allow them the opportunity to either explain or apologize. And they said, uh, uh, and I said, and if they won't hear you, then take somebody with you and do it again. I said, and then if they won't hear the two of you, then come see me. Well, they didn't come back. And apparently they didn't take anybody with them because as soon as they said it and presented the problem, the person said, oh, oh, I didn't realize I came across like that. I didn't mean that at all. And fellowship was restored. It is so incredible when we do things God's way because He, he heals the broken in heart. We can do what the Word of God says, and leave the consequences to God. If you try to figure out what to do on your own and do it your way, then you become responsible for the consequences. And that's not fun, I promise. But there's not only the wounded heart, there's the hardened heart. The hardened heart. Proverbs 29.1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. You say, well, Brother Casey, that didn't say anything about a heart. No, that said his neck. But let me go ahead and tell you, before you harden your neck, your heart has to be pretty hard. Your heart has to get hard before somebody offers you correction or advice or, uh, or reproof. He that being often reproved... Hardeneth his neck, the consequences are what? Shall suddenly be cut off, and that without remedy. And I see that so much in this day and time, where people are told the truth over and over and over and over again in Bible-preaching churches, and they don't want to hear it. Because, quite honestly, there is pleasure in sin for a season. And they're enjoying the season. They like the sin season. But they know that it violates Scripture, and so they just go ahead and keep doing it. And the danger in that is what? They shall suddenly be cut off. And that without remedy. That means no hope. God is a God of a second chance and often a third chance and sometimes a 799th chance and sometimes a thousandth chance. But sooner or later, you run out of chances with God and He says, that's all. That's enough. I remember one time, family in our church had a little boy. I was a big boy at the time. 
reason it impressed me. Because <laughs> I'd had it threatened. I just never had had it done. But this little boy kept, kept cutting up and cutting up and cutting up. And finally his mom said, okay, we're leaving. And they had never walked out in the middle of a church service before. He slid back in his seat and he folded his hands in his lap. Didn't faze her one bit. She snatched him up by the arm and out they went. And they went home. I was very fortunate. Mom never took us home from church to spank us. You kidding? Our church had a basement. And we often went to the basement, especially during Sunday night, <laughs> because that's when I'd already be ir- been irritated with Ron all day because he wouldn't keep his hands off my stuff and wouldn't leave me alone, and he, and he kept putting his foot on my side of the line. And <laughs> You know how little brothers are. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, uh, oh, man, a lot of times uh, Rick and I were laughing about the other night, <laughs> kind of laughing about <laughs> Ron taking us out, taking us down the back steps, all the way to the back end of the church, way up under where the uh, nursery used to be, but they moved the nursery. And, and we're, we're back there, and wow. Mom explains to us that we don't behave like that in church, and this, that, and the other. And, and then she takes off her little plastic belt. We pray first. We always pray first. And uh, after we get done praying, Wow. I was 14 when I got my last spanking, and I had hardened my heart. I'd already determined I was never going to cry again if I got spanked. In fact, I told my parents I thought I was too old to be spanked. They let me go about three weeks. And finally, you've heard the story over and over, but I'll tell it again anyhow because I need to hear it. Got up one Saturday morning, sat down at the table. My mom brought breakfast to the table, and I began to eat, and I said something smart aleck, and she said, son, meet me in my bedroom. Well, that sounded ominous because <clears throat> that's every time before when they said, Dad, I got a spanking. And, uh, but hey, I was too old to be spanked, so I went on, sauntered back down there and uh, sat down on the bed, and, and she gave me the, the now familiar line because I've thought of it many, many times. She said, Son, we love you. And your daddy and I decided three weeks ago that because you thought you were too old to be spanked, we would not spank you. But I have to spank you this morning because we can't live with you the way you are. <laughs> your attitude is wrong. And the scripture says that the rod drives foolishness from the heart of a child. And I started to say, but I'm not a child. I'm a grown man. I've been a grown man since I was 12. But I didn't say that, fortunately. And we prayed together, and she prayed and cried. And then she got up, took off that little plastic belt, began to apply it across the part of my body that God designed for me to learn stuff. It's called a seat of education. (laughs) While she's spanking me, the Holy Spirit grabbed my hardened heart and broke it. And I began to cry. Had I not had God break my heart then, I probably wouldn't be here today. I'd have been a rebellious, mean-spirited, 
thief, robber, murderer, you name it. Because I already had all the seeds of sin planted in my heart when I was born. And I would have let them mature. Four o'clock that afternoon, my dad comes in from the church and uh, he gets out of the car. I'm shooting baskets outside the garage. And uh, he says, son, meet me in my bedroom. What? See, at our house, nobody, you never got spanked twice for the same thing. It might be the same sin, but it's because you did it twice and you got spanked twice. <laughs> okay. I followed him back in the bedroom. It was like he and mom had rehearsed because he said, uh, your mom and I about three weeks ago decided that we weren't going to spank you anymore as long as we didn't have to, but I have to spank you because we can't live with you the way you are. Your attitude stinks, and the Bible says that the rod drives foolishness from the heart of a child. And so let's pray together. And if I had said then, but mom already took care of it, he would have stopped. But the Holy Spirit needed me to be quiet and understand how much they loved me. And so I kept quiet. We prayed together. He got up, took off his belt. Sounded like a train coming down the railroad tracks, coming through those belt loops. Folded it in half. Pow! Always before, that was the cue. That means start crying now because it's not going to get any better from here on. <laughs> I didn't start crying. He spanked me. Three, four licks is all. And uh, I got up and I hugged his neck and thanked him. He said, I love you. My mom used to say when we were younger, she'd say, Honey, we love you, and we want everybody else to like you. <laughs> so he got finished. And to this day, I'm eternally grateful that God broke my hardened heart. Because I know a lot of people with a hard heart just don't have time for God. Don't want to mess with him. They're going to make it on their own. And the, the problem is, just because you're moving doesn't mean you're making progress. And they're headed the wrong direction. Let me hurry on. There's a deceitful and a wicked heart. And the wounded heart often develops into a hardened heart. And the hardened heart often develops into a deceitful and wicked heart. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You cannot know what's going on in the heart and mind of someone else. But you know what? Everybody's heart is deceitful. Everybody's heart is wicked. Desperately wicked. And only God knows your heart. You and God, the only ones who know your heart. But because God knew your heart, before the foundation of the world, before He ever created the world, He and God the Son, the Holy Spirit, all got together and they determined what it would take to change your heart. And that's the next kind of heart, the changed heart. He said, God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Wow. That's a lot of love. That's a lot of love. As a result of that, God can change your heart. It's kind of interesting because often when we're sharing the gospel with people, like last Friday morning, after I got back from my stress test, I'm waiting for him to take me back down, and I'm sitting there in my hospital gown. And uh, did you know you can get pants for hospital gowns? You have to ask for them because they're not passing them out. But if you ask, they'll bring them to you. And I did that right off the bat. <laughs> so I'm sitting there in my in my cute little, I don't know if they're flowers or what. I didn't pay much attention to them. But they're not, they weren't white. I can tell you that. They had little blue things on them. And my hospital gown, <clears throat> which has the... Uh, I don't know. I think they were designed by the same guy who wrote Moonlight Serenade. Okay? Because they are open in the back. <laughs> so I'm, anyway, I'm sitting there, and the guy in the bed next to me, uh, we begin to talk. And he's telling me about all the difficulty and all the problems in his life. And uh, I'd heard him the day before trying to find somebody to go pick up his kids from school take them until the welfare worker could get there to get them to put them in foster home because they didn't have any place to go and nobody would watch after them. So I knew he was in a lot of difficulty, trouble. But we began to talk. And he said, uh, he said, you're so happy all the time. You, you, you just, you don't seem worried about the fact that you might have be having a heart attack or something. And I said, well, actually, I'm not. He said, why not? And I said, well, because I have Jesus living in my heart. He understood that I wasn't talking about this organ in the middle of my chest. It goes, ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. Okay? Wasn't what I was talking about. But we often use that phrase to ask Jesus to come into your heart. And I said, if you died today, do you know if you would go to heaven? And he said, well, I hope so. And I said, whoo, I wouldn't want to live like that. He said, really? I said, yeah. I, you know, If I didn't know I was going to heaven, I'd be making sure. I'd be finding somebody to tell me. And uh, so I uh, began to share the gospel with him. About that time, Brother Jim Weimar came in. His, his wife had just been admitted to the hospital. And uh, they were working with her. And he had to leave the room, so he came up to see me. And, and, uh, and he sat down and together. We shared the gospel with this guy. Brother Weimar finally said, would you like to bow your head and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and life? The guy said, yeah. I said, okay, let's pray. And so I prayed first, asked God to give him clear understanding of what he was doing. And then he prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart and life. And then he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. And he looked up at me and he said, I don't think there's anything wrong with your heart. And I said, really? He said, yeah, I think God put you in here just for me. And I thought, well, there's anything wrong with my heart or not. I think he put me in here for you. And his heart changed. My heart's still acting ignorant, but his heart changed. There's a song. Change my heart, O oh God. 
make it ever new. Change my heart, oh God, I would be like you. That's all I'm going to sing because I'll mess it up after that. But I want you to know that God changes hearts. And he will change your heart today if you'll let him. The deal with hearts is, even after you trust Christ as Savior, there are kingdoms in your heart that you have to yield. So you have to yield your heart to God. Just give up. Say, Lord, I'm messing up my life. It's all yours now. I give you my heart and life, and he'll change you. Let's bow together in prayer as we stand quietly to our feet. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your